If you have your Bibles, please turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll also be in Genesis chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 4. There's some sermon notes at novachurch.org and on your Nova Community Church app that you can go to, and there are some scriptures noted there. Today, today we're going to learn what it means to worship by faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Now, like we said before, we don't know who wrote Hebrews chapter 11, but we do know that it was written to Jewish believers who were experiencing hardship and persecution, and as a result, were thinking of returning to their former way of life. So the writer drops Hebrews chapter 11, where he strongly exhorts these believers to have faith. And in the first words that we've taken a look at already, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, there's a description or a definition of faith. And then 20 examples of faithful women and men noted in Hebrews chapter 11. The flannel board of the faithful. And I think it's interesting to note that the first person mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 is this obscure man. His name was Abel. And Abel's faith is noted here because of his worship of God, which tells us something about God, and it tells us something about us in the importance of worship. And the Bible has very little instruction when it comes to the form of worship or the style of worship or the liturgy of worship. The Bible does say that worship is a priority, but there's very little written about how we ought to do it. So when we, when we talk about worship, we're not really talking about form or style or models. And by the way, as Americans, as Americans, we have this incredible choice of forms and styles of worship. As Americans, when we think of worship, we mostly think about church. And in America, it's interesting because we do this thing where we try out churches, right? When we're looking for churches, we get to try them out, which is not really what the rest of the world gets to do when they think about, hey, I think I want to worship at a church. And when we try out churches in America, we ask ourselves questions like, how is the music? And we go to a church, we try it out, and we ask ourselves, is this, what's this music like? Are they hymns? Do they have an organ? Do they have loud guitars? Is it dark in there? Do they have good lighting? Is there fog machines? <laughs> Are they lifting their hands? Are they closing their eyes? Are they kneeling down? Are they rushing the stage? Are they dancing around? Is it quiet? Is it, is it uh, slow and methodical? Or is it fast-paced and, and driving? 
And we, we, we get to try out these churches that are all like that. So we get to sort of find our church culture and find our fit. And then sometimes we, we say things like, you know what, I didn't like worship. As if that worship was for you. Or, I want to worship God the way I want to worship God. As if it's really about your preferences. We ask ourselves in America a lot of times, did I like the sermon? Was it inspirational? Was it serious? Was it intense? Did I learn something? Was I moved at all? We, we ask ourselves about the people in the church. Was it crowded? Was it smaller, more intimate? Were the people friendly? Were they serious and intense? Did they smile? Was it clickish? Can I make friends there? Were they nervous? Were they prideful? Was there laughter? How do they treat men and how do they treat women? Were they only older or were they only younger? What do they do with the kids? Which kind of goes along with, what about, in America we ask this question so much, what about the church programs? What kind of programs do they have? For the youth and for the kids, for the men, for the women. What about education? What about missions? We have all these questions. We're so rich when it comes to church and worship in America. So when we talk about worship and how we worship, we're not talking about form or style. We're not even talking about what happens on a Sunday morning exclusively. The how is simply the condition of the heart of worship. Worship is an issue, if anything, of the heart in a matter of faith. And worship is only authentic when the heart is honest, not perfect, but truly yielded to God. And when we worship, we come and we bring our best, even when our best is us at our worst. Not our second best, not our leftovers. We seek to bring our best when we adore and worship God. Let's take a look at our text today in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. What Abel and Cain were doing, as we take a look at Genesis chapter 4 in a second, was a simple act of worship. Now there's a lot to think about here when we go back to Genesis chapter 4. We'll get there in a second. But there's a lot of questions and speculation. But here's what we know as we read through this. At the time of Cain and Abel, the Levitical law has not been given yet. So there were no prescribed worship sacrifices yet, which I think is very interesting here. And Cain and Abel's offerings were not sin offerings. They weren't given to atone for their sin. It appears that this is just an unsolicited act of worship, of adoration and worship that flowed from the heart of each of them. And so we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. We'll take a look at chapter 4 of Genesis 
through this lens of how do we worship God by faith? And the first lesson is this. We need to worship by faith with our whole heart. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. I, I think this is just fascinating. Why was it better, right? I mean, that's our big question. The word better here is so important. And so, in Hebrews chapter 11, take a look there at the word. Now, in the New International Version, it's translated better. In some of your versions, it might be translated excellent. But whatever that word is, take your pen and underline it or circle it because that's a super important word for us today. The word better is important for our purposes today. It means more. Now remember this. We're going to get back to this at the end of our sermon. But remember this. So make a note of it. The literal translation of this sentence would be, Abel brought a more offering than Cain. Doesn't really make much sense to us today. Abel brought a more offering than Cain. It's not referring to quantity here. We can assume it's referring to quality, not merely in that meat or protein is better than veggies and fruits, right? We're not, that's not what we're talking about right here. But it's the quality of the heart. In, in verse 4, in the second part of that, it says, By faith, Abel was commended as righteous. Now, even Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, refers to Abel as righteous Abel. And it wasn't about Abel's gift, his sacrifice, it was his heart behind it, it appears. And the question is this. So why was Abel's sacrifice better or more? And why was it by faith? Now, let's go to the original story to find out. So take a look at your Bibles in the first book, Genesis chapter 4, to find out. As with every person documented in Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith, this flannel board of the faithful, there's a corresponding Old Testament account. Now we know from Genesis chapter 1, from verse 1 and through chapter 2 and chapter 3, that God has created the heavens and the earth. And he created humankind and told them to flourish and enjoy. However, he said, don't eat of the fruit of one tree. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God, ate from that one tree, and then they were banished from the garden. And here we pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, 
Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Let's stop there for now. It's very clear from this account that there was anger in Cain's heart, right? I mean, you can see that right off. God gave him a warning. I think the warning is, is, is very interesting. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Now, in your mind, you could think, well, what, is, what does this really mean? Is this an animal sort of getting ready to pounce like a lion or a tiger? Or is this a, um, someone who wants to do harm to you, like crouching behind it, like a, like a, a thief, or, um, someone's going to mug you, that sort of a thing. But God gives them this warning. He says, sin is crouching at your, at, at your door. Now, something we know is not right in the heart of Cain here. And Cain did not heed the warning, and he fell into temptation. And then in verse 8, we see the result. Genesis 4, verse 8 says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper. There's so much to just think and talk about and, and it's so good to just read this and, and um, what, interact with God on this. Like, God, what did you mean by sin is crouching at your door? What were you saying to Cain? What were you warning him about? And then, please ask the question, what's my warning Right? What, what's the warning that you're giving me? I mean, if, if, if you read this and, and Cain, God says, where's your, ask, where's your brother Abel? He knows. He wants Cain to think. He wants him to consider. He wants him to think about that sin that was crouching at the door and the, the, the bloom of that sin and what has happened. And Cain lies to God and says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? Cain, we see here, is the inventor, the founder. He's not the inventor of murder, but he's the founder of, of human murder. So he's the first one that we read in Scripture who is murdered. And the question here for us is, how is your heart? How is your heart? When you worship, what's going on in your heart? And so what we find here, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, Genesis chapter 4, that worship by faith, worshiping God by faith means, number one, you worship with your whole heart. Number two, the second way to worship by faith is you worship with your best. You worship with your best. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and if you... If you look at the New Living Translation, which I think gives us a good idea here, in verse 3 it says in Genesis 4, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Now verse 4 tells us that Abel brought firstborn lambs. Now, maybe it was the first time, think, think through this with me, maybe it was the first time 
that Abel's flock had multiplied and given birth. And so this could mean this firstborn, this this firstborn lambs could mean it's the first time that his flock is multiplied. I mean, this is like Abel's like, I've been working this flock and and now I've got my first. Kind of want to keep your first, right? You ever go to a, a small business um, and you go in there and sometimes they'll put a dollar bill and they'll, they'll stake it to the wall, right? What is that dollar bill? It's the first dollar that they made. It's, it, it, it commemorates hard work. It commemorates. This is the first of it. It says here, Abel brought firstborn lambs and maybe it was his first time. And let's assume that also if it was Abel's first time of firstborn lambs, maybe this was Cain's first harvest. Let's just assume that. And notice, though, in verse 3, Cain brought what of his crops? Some. He brought some crops as a gift. But Abel, what did he do? Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs which tells us something about the heart here. And when you worship by faith, you bring your best, you bring your first, not just some. You don't just sort of casually interact with God. It, you, you bring them your full heart, and you bring them your best, you bring them your first. You give them that full attention. Throughout Scripture, the first and the best offerings are what God's people are encouraged to bring to Him. And this is a simple, it's very practical. It's, it's a very simple and practical way of bringing God our best. And the reason why bringing God your best and first is a practical way of worshiping God because it's a matter of action here. It's, a, it's, an, it's an active sense and, and the action is an action of priority. Its priority is what we're really dealing with here. The first thing that you do with something or with someone tells us a lot about where your heart is. And the first thing, the, the default, is your go-to. And this exposes what's going on in your heart. And it, it exposes all that your heart is being brought to this worship. A life of faith puts God first in every area of our life. And when you worship by faith, you are giving God priority. But not just that. Here we could see also not just giving God the priority, the best and the first, but it's also trusting in God. So when you worship, you're trusting in God. And Abel's action was by faith because he was trusting God with the rest. Abel brought the firstborn lamb offering to God, and he had to trust God that he would have enough of the rest of the flock. There's always that unknown element, though. And it has to do with faith, because it's about the future, and it's about the unseen when you give. And when we bring our first to God, we trust him for the rest of it. I, Jesus says it this way in, in Matthew chapter 6, and, and you've, 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 you've heard this before, you've, you've read this before, but Jesus said this. He said, but seek first. It's a first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
And then all these things will be added unto you as well. Therefore, don't worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself, is what Jesus said. Each day has a, enough trouble of its own. You know, the harvest looks good now if you're a farmer, but you never know. It can get eaten by pests and by vermin. If you're a shepherd, the flock looks good and healthy now, but you never know. Disease or a predator can wipe everything out. And when you commit your first to the Lord, you trust God with the rest. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. When you worship God by faith, you worship him with your whole heart and then you worship him with your best. You're giving him priority and you're trusting him with all the rest. Now, here's just two practical applications of worship. And the first practical application is we worship through our treasure. I mean, there's just no doubt that God knows that in the human heart, it's, it's the, your finances are wrapped around your heart. And so the first application of worshiping by faith is we worship him through our finances, through our wealth, through our treasure. You know, when I was a young adult, and I just graduated from college, and I had a mentor. And he was such a great mentor. I got my first job, and he said, congratulations, and then he talked to me a little bit about that, and he said, you know what, I want to challenge you. He said, Dean, he said, I want, I want to challenge you to take a step of faith. He says, I want you to worship God with your finances. You know, I was in my early 20s, got my first career job. I thought I was making a lot of money, but it wasn't that much. And he said, Dean, when you get your first paycheck, he said, I want you to bring it to me. I want us to look at it together. And I said, okay. So in those days, you know, it wasn't deposited, in, you know, automatically in your bank account. You actually got a paycheck in an envelope. And so I cracked it open and we were at the house and at his house, and um, we looked at it, and he said, well, that's, that's great. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to pull your checkbook out. We wrote checks back in those days. And he said, I want you to write 10% on that check number. I want you to give a tenth. It's called a tithe in the Bible, and he taught me all about that. He says, I want you to give off the top before taxes. He says, I want you to give that back to God. And uh, at the time, I really didn't think it was that much money. But after a while, after paying your bills and things like that, I mean, he even encouraged me. He said, when you're paying your bills, make that the first check you write out is to God. It's just so simple. I'm, you've maybe even heard these sort of stories before, but for me as a young man, I was 22 years old. I was single at the time. And I said, okay. And I've been giving God a base of 10% for about 40 years. And it hasn't always been easy. But it's been fun. 
And why it's been fun is because we'll give that money and sometimes we don't even think about it and sometimes we think deeply about it because it's a lot of money and we have other things that we want to have for ourselves and bills to pay and things like that. But the hilarious part about giving is that God is always faithful. I've never missed a paycheck. We've always had enough. Not just enough. We have so much. And now, we have the opportunity to give so generously. It's so fun to be able to give to the open campaign. It's been so fun when the youth have a fundraiser and we eat these delicious tacos. And then we can give money because we know that youth are going to go to camp because of this. It's so fun to give to missions. And not just ministry things, but people in need. It's just so fun when we find out someone's in need. And my wife Janet and I will look at each other and we'll talk and we'll pray. And then we'll say, let's give this amount. And it's just so fun to give. And, and, and it's just a hilarious way to live. It really is. And so we worship God First, practical applications. We worship God through our finances. Second is we worship God through our time. And time equals relationship. Now, time with God is meant to be the worship of God. And when Jesus went to the cross, it was that he did that so that we might be reconciled back to God in relationship. And any relationship where you don't spend a lot of time is not a great relationship. And so... I know it. I mean, I, when someone's saying I'm having trouble in my relationship, I, I always ask, how much time are you spending together? A healthy relationship is dependent on the time that you spend. And Jesus died on the cross to bring us into relationship with God. So how do we spend time with God? We do it by faith. We do it with our whole heart. We give them our best. We don't give them our leftover time. I think you can, oh man, you could, you could find out so much about a person if you know how they spend their money and how they spend their time. I think you can also know who a person is worshiping by how they spend their money and how they spend their time. Who are they spending their money on? What are they spending their money on? And you'll quickly find out what's priority in their life, what they're giving their best to, who they're worshiping, and who are they spending their time with. You'll know it immediately. It's so simple, and worship is like that. It's so simple. Mark chapter 12 is a great story about worship. And Jesus is sitting down outside the temple, and he's watching people give. Take a look at this. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. I love this story. Verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, 
This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Now Jesus was at the temple and he's observing how people gave. He's not scrutinizing how much they're giving, but he's looking at their hearts. And that's what worship is about, right? That's what we've learned today. It was easy to discern hearts by their finances. And in verse 43, super important for you to see this here, Jesus says, this widow, this poor widow has put what? More. She's put more. Now, more. He uses that word more. It's the same Greek word in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Remember when I said circle it, mark it? Translated in the New International Version as better, but I said literally it was about giving a more offering. And Jesus uses that same Greek word pleon here. And so Jesus says, this poor widow has put more. It's that same Greek word we talked about in the beginning, Hebrews chapter, four, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. The poor widow gave a more sacrifice, just like Abel did. Now, why does Jesus call this a more offering, a better offering? Because it required faith. What made it better? It was her heart. By faith, the poor widow gave all that she had. By faith, Abel gave his whole heart, the best, the best portions of the firstborn lambs. It's about worship. It's about your whole heart. It's about giving God your best, giving God priority, and then trusting God that he'll take care of you even though you give him your best. I love what the writer of Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, speaks directly to the people of Nova, to us, New Testament believers today. He writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. Amen? Amen.